Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody. You are listening to the Transcend Human Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It is August 3rd. Apparently, July has given up and gone home, uh, as have many other things in 2020. Um, Let's jump into the minute of transparency. So I was just thinking the other day, I think uh, my family was kind of feeling the same way. Um, We were like, man, we we just really miss going to the movies. You know, not a specific movie, not a series of movies, just just the whole experience of going to the movies, right? You, you know, you you drive there with the family, you get some popcorn, some some drinks, sit down, enjoy a good movie, and then come home. I mean, it was just you know, it's part of the fabric of America, part of the fabric of our lives, and and now it's not there, and it's just weird. And so, you know, that was just one thing that came up, you know, as we were talking about the impact that coronavirus has had on our culture and our uh, society right now. Obviously, that's just one little thing. There's many others, you know, people who are really into working out, uh, maybe CrossFit, things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, they're having that same feeling with not being able to go to the gym or... Um, people not being able to go get their nails done, just some some of the basic things that we should we should be able to do. Um, so I wanted to bring that up, and I wanted to just ask you, you know, what are what are some of those things you miss, or the things you've missed out on in the last uh, what five months now? I don't know. I mean, ever since you know March or so, when when it really started to hit, um, you know, April, all of April, May, June, July. Yeah, we're you know, just moving into August, and we're still um, experiencing a lot of that um, blowback from COVID. So, so just wanted to bring that up, and and just to remind everyone that we're all in this together. Obviously, we're all experiencing the same things. You know, each of us in slightly different ways because of the things we were interested in. Um, you know, and each of us in slightly different ways based on where we live. Uh, the next big thing for us, obviously, coming up is. Uh, school starting, and so that's going to be interesting depending on where you live in the country um, as to what that actually looks like, you know, whether you're there in person or whether you're doing kind of the hybrid approach or whether you're full-on online learning still for the first semester. So so that's the minute of transparency. Today's content, again, we are in a series called Controversy Theory. We're coming up on the end of this. We've got a couple weeks left. And, um, you know, it's just been really fun for me to walk through this content and, and go back and relive a bunch of this stuff that I wrote back in the early 2000s. Um, so I hope it's been helpful to you. I hope you're um, walking through it with me and really finding it helpful uh, and then sharing it with other people as you can. 
So last week, uh, we kind of wrapped things up talking about the good news that the controversy will end. Um, And today we dive into what will happen at the end of time. So this whole concept that, you know, there'll be two outcomes at the end of time. There'll be four categories of people and there will be people living many different lifestyles. So today's basic assumption, two two outcomes, four categories, many lifestyles. And those are what we're going to walk through. So number one, the two outcomes. You know, the end of life and the end of time are both concepts that uh, pretty much every religion has to wrestle with, right? Every every spiritual um, idea, every religious uh, pursuit, every religion in general, I guess, um, has had to wrestle with what happens when you die, right? Because dying is inevitable. Right now, it's still hovering right around 100%. And the end of time just seems to be an understood thing as well. You know, something that is going to happen in some form or fashion in life. Um, you know, maybe it's in the Earth's DNA somehow. You know, we, we look around and we see that everything else has a start and a stop, right? People, animals, trees, grass, mosquitoes, ecosystems, um, you know, man-made things like electronics, cars, buildings, all of that. Everything has a beginning and an end, And in fact, the only things that we believe might live forever are cockroaches and things made out of plastic. Uh, But seriously, everything, everything has a beginning and an end. So why would it be any different for Earth itself, right? Why would everything else have a start and stop and then the Earth just go on forever? Um, You know, we, we even see it in the universe, right? Stars burn out. Stars even like our sun could burn out. And, and if other stars in the universe could burn out, then it just stands to reason. It's the logical conclusion that our Earth could follow the same pattern. But I digress. Uh, if you do some research, you'll find that most of the major religions have a belief about what happens when you die. Or, uh, you know, I guess some of them call it the afterlife. And so let's just kind of walk through some of those real quick. Uh, you have Hindus who believe in reincarnation, so it's the the concept that you come back in a different form, possibly another human being, possibly an animal, um, but you come back based on karma or or your behavior and your the way that you interacted in your previous life. So if you were good, you might come back as a better person, maybe a famous or wealthy person the next time, or if you were not such a good person, then maybe you just come back as an animal or an insect, for example. And this cycle is said to continue until you've learned from your mistakes and you reach the point where you can be released from the cycle. Uh, And this is called moksha. And eventually you reach a heaven-like state, which is called ayoka. Buddhists, similar to Hindus, kind of believe in a rebirth cycle. Um, And it's basically reincarnation into one of six different realms. So to a Buddhist, there's no death. There's just a constant rebirth and a recycling of, um, of your soul, if you will. Um, searching for a place of enlightenment, a mental state called nirvana, which uh, once you reach that, then you're broken free from that rebirth cycle once and for all. Next, you have Mormons. Uh, Mormons are very interesting. Uh, they have a belief that's a little more traditional in, in like a heaven or hell situation. Um, however, there's this interim state 
that you find yourself in before going to heaven. And there's kind of this process of approval or acceptance before you reach the afterlife. And then hell is thought to be a place of punishment. But there's actually a possibility of changing your ways and repenting in that state of punishment. And if you are able to do that, then you can escape hell and, um, and make it into a version of heaven. Next, you have Scientology. Uh, Scientologists believe that uh, every person has an indestructible soul that just keeps on living in one form or another forever. Uh, this soul is called a Thetan, and it's, uh, it's basically reincarnated over and over and over again and passed from person to person, potentially for billions of years. Um, a person's deeds do not follow them in the afterlife, so there's no real concept of, you know, of uh, reward or punishment or, um, you know, a heaven or a hell. You just continue to exist. Next, you have the Jewish belief. Uh, Jews tend to be more um, focused on what life should be like right here in the here and now. A lot of emphasis is placed on what it means to live and to respect life. There really isn't a strong belief in hell. Um, and heaven is really a great concept as well, um, which involves kind of the, the concept of the return of a Messiah who will come at some point in the future um, and take those uh, who choose to live um, kind of the Jewish lifestyle um, back to a, a future resting place that is better than things are on earth. Um, but again, it's very easy to see with the Jewish faith why so much emphasis is placed on the here and now, because there's really a gray area when you talk about heaven and hell. Next up, you have Muslims who believe that the whole heaven and hell concept is true as well, only they take it to a much deeper level than even the Christian view of heaven and hell. Um, and it's really based on a person's behavior on earth. So at the end, there's said to be a time of judgment where Allah, the one true God, uh, will resurrect every person who ever lived. Uh, judgment will happen, and then people will either go to heaven or hell. And once they rest, uh, reach these final resting places, um, there are said to be levels of each, right? So there's seven levels of heaven, and there's seven levels of hell. So really, your, your reward or your punishment um, is at one of these levels based on how good or how bad you were on earth. And then finally, you have the Christian view of, of heaven and hell. Um, and there's, you know, the, the most traditional telling of the heaven and hell concept is probably the Christian view. Um, however, even within that, there is a variety of beliefs and, and belief structures about heaven and hell. So those who hold to a very traditional view of, of death and the afterlife, and those who kind of, you know, moved away from it and choose to believe something a little bit different. And so that's kind of what we find in Christianity is that there are, there are some differences. Now, there are obvious different differences between Catholics and Protestants. Um, and then within the Protestant religion, religions, um, obviously there are very different there's kind of a spectrum of beliefs about the end of time as well and about death. So where, where things get a little sticky is when you, you start talking about the whole grace versus works debate again, uh, and then that plays right into judgment and what happens when you die or at the end of time. So there are those in the Protestant faith who believe 
more in the, the grace side of things. And so they suggest that um, every choice you make is great, but there's really only one important choice, and that's whether you choose to believe in God or not. And that one choice is what determines your future, whether you go to heaven or hell. And then there's those who are more works-oriented, right? So those are you know people who believe that your choices and your habits and your character over time will eventually determine if you go to heaven or hell. And then there's the there's the kind of like an anomaly in the Catholic faith, which is purgatory, and that's kind of a place where you know when you die you go, and you're kind of in this lobby, if you will, and you can be helped into heaven if if enough family members pray for you or if people give money to the church in your name, um, you know things like that to to basically help push you in the right direction. But that's it for now. I mean that's the that's kind of the gist of you know, a variety of the different religions and uh, what their beliefs are about the end of time or about death, the afterlife. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but I just wanted to give kind of a high level, level overview of, you know, the fact that there are a lot of different concepts and a lot of different ideas out there. So obviously we've already explained that controversy theory is based on Christianity. So, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that controversy believes in heaven and hell. Um, these are, in essence, the two outcomes, and they are the only two outcomes, according to controversy theory. Uh, they are final, and they are forever, uh, which means it's very important to choose which of the two you want to be part of at the end of your life or at the end of time. Uh, you know, there's a persona that Christians place on Satan. They call him the father of lies, among other things. And this is something that controversy theory takes very seriously. In fact, it's one of the foundational elements in conscience-driven therapy, which was, was kind of the sister or follow-up book to controversy theory uh, with real practical next-step applications of controversy theory. Uh, and if, if we're able to decide, or if we're able to decode the lies that Satan has propagated on Earth, uh, we should be able to do the opposite and be okay. Now, obviously, this is a gross oversimplification of the facts, but you understand the concept. Satan is a person who wants to misguide, mislead, lie, cheat, steal. I mean, it's just part of his nature. So if, if Satan tells you something, there's a really good chance that it's a lie, and the opposite is probably true. Now, again, oversimplification. Um... But controversy theory finds it interesting that one of the first lies Satan ever told was related to death. So in Genesis 3, back in the creation uh, story in the Bible, it explains that Satan disguised himself as a serpent and was cunning and crafty, uh, more so than any other living thing. And when the woman in the Garden of Eden kind of you know, wandered off and ended up finding herself near the tree of knowledge of good and evil, she ran into the serpent. And the serpent, you know, talked to her for a while and, and got her to, you know, kind of explain her thoughts about God and stuff like that. And at some point she said, yeah, you know, he told us we're not supposed to eat this fruit from this tree right here. And Satan replied, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, and you will know good from evil. That's Genesis 3, 4. So interesting to read that verse in light of what we just talked about, right? 
I mean, how many of the religions above believe that death is really not a thing, right? That you just basically live on forever, either in a cycle of reincarnation or a state of eternal punishment. Um, you know, even in situations where people believe they live forever in eternal punishment or hell, that's still obviously similar to or feeding into the lie that Satan told about death. Now, kind of mercy theory suggests that this is why people are so confused about death and the afterlife because Satan wants it that way. Uh, if he can keep us guessing, if he can keep us trying to figure out and understand what's going on, uh, you know, we might just get frustrated and just choose not to think about it anymore. So that's really his goal when it comes to death. And uh, the concepts of heaven and hell is if he can create enough confusion, then maybe we'll just forget about it and not see the importance that goes along with it. So let's walk through the two outcomes um, as controversy theory suggests. First is heaven. So the most important piece to understand about heaven is how we get there. Obviously, uh, controversy theory believes that there is only one way, and that is to cast your vote for God in the eternal election, right? A one-time thing, accepting a gift that God has offered as part of his rescue mission, uh, the rescue mission to save as many of his kids as he possibly can. So what is heaven like? Well, the Bible is pretty quiet about heaven. I mean, probably probably because there are so few human words that can even describe something that amazing, the amazingness, the perfection of heaven. So in order to explain heaven at all, the Bible typically goes the opposite direction and tells us what it is not, what won't be there. So, you know, things like pain, suffering, anger, hatred, racism, disease, death, violence, um, loneliness, fear, anxiety, depression, all of those kinds of things, um, you know, are explained as not being in heaven. So that's really the, the way that the Bible helps us understand that it's going to be an incredible place by telling us all of the bad things that exist on earth and that they will not be there. So in telling this, you know, in, in explaining it this way, we immediately understand that this is a place where we want to be, right? This is, this is amazing. This is the original environment, the perfect home that we had to leave in the beginning. The home that God wanted us to have, but the one that we lost when we voted for Satan at the original voting booth. Heaven will be amazing. Heaven will, heaven will be forever. Next, we have hell. So hell is where Satan wants to lie, confuse, and sidetrack, right? This is, this is his favorite thing to do. So this is why there's so much confusion over what it means and how it works. And really, the two areas that he wants to, um, to get us to misunderstand are these two, which are what happens when you die and what exactly is hell going to be like. Now, we could debate these two questions for days, so I'll just cut to the chase and I'll just explain controversy theories beliefs on both. So first, what happens when you die? Controversy theory believes that death is a sleep. So when someone dies, they cease to exist, every piece of that person. Now, I can, I can illustrate this by um, talking about building a wooden box. So what goes into assembling a wooden box? You have the wood, you have some nails, and then you have an assembly process. So wood plus nails plus assembly equals box. Next, when you think about the way that we were created, 
we have similar pieces, right? We have a physical body and we have a soul and then we have God, God's assembly process or him breathing life into us. And that all equals a living being. So back to the box illustration, the box ceases to exist if the wood and the nails are separated, right? If it's disassembled, you no longer have a box. Similarly, when we die, um, it is said that the breath of life goes out of us, right? The breath that God breathed into us goes out of us and we cease to be a living being. Now, I know that this is a controversial belief, right? Uh, the popular belief is that you don't actually die, right? That's, that's Satan's lie. It's what he wants you to believe. Um, he wants you to believe that your soul continues to live on just in a different state. And many, many, many Christians believe this. You know, most, most funerals you attend, you'll hear, you'll hear phrases like, uh, John is now in heaven, bless his soul. Or, you know, well, they're in a better place now. Or, um, you know, they're now at peace looking down on us. Or uh, someday, you know, we will make it up there to join them. All of these statements are based on a belief that you don't technically die. You just go to heaven in a different form. But remember Satan's lie you will not surely die. Are we still falling for the same lie he used even back at the beginning? Controversy theory suggests that death is asleep, no different than going to bed at night and waking up in the morning. When life on earth is over, we slip into the grave and sleep until that day when God returns and wakes us up to be with him forever. Number two, what is hell actually going to be like? Simply put, hell is an event not an eternal state of punishment. Again, not the most popular belief about hell. Many Christians tend to believe um, in the hell described by Greek mythology, right? I mean, you see it written all over the place. It's a, in Greek mythology, there's a place referred to at times as Hades, uh, but more specifically, it's referred to as the underworld or Erebus, a dark and gloomy place ruled by Hades, the god of the dead. And it's said that this is where cursed mortals go when they die. And they exist there and they are forever tormented and not allowed to leave. Sound familiar? This is actually what many Christians believe about hell. Controversy theory, on the other hand, believes that hell is an event. That when God returns to earth the final time, the earth will be cleansed with fire. An event which will extinguish all remnants of the sin virus once and for all. You can call it hell, you can call it a lake of fire, um, you can call it the final judgment. I mean, whatever you want, you can call it, but it, it is the final act. It's a conclusion act, an event that happens and then it's done. All who choose against God will be given what they asked for. It's the most merciful thing that God can do, given the fact that the sin virus has to be done away with. When God recreates the earth the way that it was in the beginning, there can be no trace of sin. It has to be completely gone. If hell was a physical place, sin would never fully be gone. Again, remember Satan's lie in the beginning, you will not surely die. If hell was an actual place, Satan's lie wouldn't be a lie. He would actually be telling the truth all those years ago. You don't actually ever die. You just live on in heaven or hell or in some state or the other. Again, while we could argue about this until we were blue in the face, um, the important piece remains that there are only two outcomes and we need to choose which of the two we want 
for ourselves in our future. Number two, the four categories. Again, it's important to understand that the two outcomes are the most important thing. This is really where we all need to to focus the most of our time and attention, and we need to understand the ins and outs, and we need to make a decision. The rest of this episode is just going to be us getting down into the weeds, talking about the way we live our lives before we cast our vote or after we've cast our vote in the eternal election. Kind of similar to the whole justification and sanctification conversation we had, or the uh, grace and then works conversation, the four categories really uh, just help explain how people are choosing to live while struggling with the two outcome decision. So let's just run through the four categories really quick, and then we'll flesh them out a little bit more. So the four categories are practicing believers, non-practicing believers, practicing non-believers, and non-practicing non-believers. So let's start with practicing believers. So these are the people who cast their vote for God, right? They're already in, they already cast their vote, they believe, um, and they are wanting to practice their faith um, by learning what it means to transcend human. So their decision to follow God literally changed their life, right? They they are working to make good choices, form good habits, and they, they really want to develop a a character that will leave a legacy for others. It's not that they're doing these things in order to go to heaven, right? They've already voted. They've already accepted the antidote to the sin virus. They just know that they want to do something good with their lives and they want to make a difference. Next up, you have non-practicing believers. So these are people who voted for God as well, right? That's why they're called believers. They're glad to be safe and they're glad to be, to accept the promise of eternal life um, but they're kind of at a standstill in their life. They really don't have the energy to work on their choices or their habits or their character. Or maybe they're people who, you know, made the decision for Christ on death's door, and they don't even have time left in order to make changes in their life. They're simply saved, and that's the extent of it. Next, you have practicing non-believers. So these are people who haven't really got around to casting their vote yet. And by default, as we've talked about in the past, a, a no vote is actually a vote cast for Satan, right? Choosing not to vote is not a, a cop-out. It's not a way out of the election. You still cast your vote no matter what. But choosing not to vote is actually siding for Satan, the incumbent in the election. However, you know, these people do not view it this way, right? Uh, these are good people doing good things, making good decisions, forming good habits, and, and seeming to have everything pretty well sewed up in their life, right? They've got pretty good characters, it seems. Unfortunately, this is the saddest scenario in the four categories. Uh, these people don't really see a need for God or the antidote to the sin virus because they're good, right? They do good things. They, they um, you know, they're part of the PTA. They, they, help out in the community. They do community service projects. Uh, they go on, on, you know, volunteer trips to other countries to help build wells. I mean, I don't know, you know, whatever the list is there, but, um, but they believe that they're capable of doing all of the good for themselves and that all of that good will wind up tipping the scales in their favor in the end. And at the end, at the end of the day, you know, wouldn't God allow a good person into heaven? Well, that sounds good on the outside, but the problem is that good is not good enough. 
God is, when you think about God, God is a sinless, spotless, perfect, pure being, right? And he created us the same way. He created us perfect, spotless, sinless, pure. And in the beginning, that's why we were able to walk and talk with our creator, right? Because we were both perfect. And so it is today. In order to be in his presence, in order to hang out with him, we can't just be good. We need to be perfect. We need to be 100% spotless, which is something that is completely unattainable for us, given the, the world we live in and the sin virus. So the only way we're ever going to get back to that level of perfection so that we can be with God is if we accept his gift, which is the antidote to the sin virus, the gift that Jesus created for us by dying on the cross. This allows our good to be viewed as perfect. And then finally, we have non-practicing non-believers. So this is kind of broken into two or three different sections. Um, so the version one of a non-practicing non-believer, uh, these are people who haven't really cast their vote, but they haven't done it out of ignorance, right? So these people simply don't even know what they don't know. Uh, they may be oblivious to the controversy. Maybe they haven't even heard about God. Maybe they don't understand, you know, what their conscience is trying to tell them. You know, they have impressions, they have feelings from time to time, but they just don't, they just haven't got to that place where they understand what that even means. And so they're just living infected with a sin virus and probably passing it on to everyone they come in contact with. No quarantining, no social distancing, just full on spreading the virus to those around them. And then there's version two. Version two are people who have not cast their vote but it's out of laziness, fear, or selfishness, or some other uh, you know, behavior like that. Uh, these are people who know the truth. They understand the concept of the controversy. They actually have everything they need to cast their vote. And most of the time, you know, they even understand that casting their vote for God is the right thing to do. But they simply don't do it, and for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're holding on too tight. Maybe they don't want their life to change. Maybe they're worried that, you know, there may be something they have to give up in their life if they become a Christian. Um, maybe they're afraid they'll miss out on something. Maybe they don't really trust that voting for God will be as good as he says it is. Or maybe it's just a laziness thing. Maybe there's just that constant feeling like, oh, tomorrow's always there. I'll just do it later. I'll do it when I'm older. And then there's the final version, version three of the non-practicing non-believers. So these are people who actually have cast their vote, but they cast their vote for Satan instead of God. You know, the last group is as far as as far from God as you can possibly be, right? The complete opposite of the first category. But at least they cast their vote and they're willing to own it. Uh, in in Revelation, it says that God gets frustrated when people are lukewarm in their convictions. In essence, he's saying that he would rather you be fully hot or fully cold, fully with him or fully against him. So in some crazy, strange way, it, it, it seems like God actually respects the decisions of people, um, even, even if they choose this, right? Even if they choose Satan, even if they choose poorly. And these people, you know, they're, they're the ones who fully give in to the sin virus, and they do everything they can to work with Satan to bring chaos to the world. Knowingly or unknowingly, the result is the same. Uh, these people are on the side of Satan. All right, number three, many lifestyles. And so, 
you know, we've talked about the four categories. And then within the four categories, we have many, many, many different lifestyles or what we would refer to as a spirituality continuum. The two outcomes and the four categories we talked about live on this continuum. So let's just walk through some of the the truths about the many lifestyles that are out there in the world today. Uh, It's important to understand that every single person is unique, right? Each of us has either voted or not voted. Each of us falls into one of the four categories. And each of us has a unique set of circumstances, right? Which all adds up to this truth. Each of us is a slightly different, at a slightly different place on the spirituality continuum. Each of us has learned about the controversy at different times in our lives, and some are still in the dark. Uh, everyone has voted at a different time in their life, and some, and some still haven't voted. Uh, everyone has a slightly different story with different experiences that make up their spiritual journey. And everyone chooses to live differently once they vote. And finally, everyone has a slightly different impact on the world. Just think about you versus Mother Teresa. That should be very obvious. So then the question has to be asked, what do we do with all of this information that we have about the two outcomes, the four categories, the many lifestyles? Like, how should that impact us in the way that we view or treat other people? Well, the simple answer is nothing. In terms of the way we look at people, the way we interact with people, and the way we treat them, this information should do nothing. Uh, These aren't buckets that we place people in so that we can classify them or choose how to interact with them. And they should definitely not be affinity groups that we choose to identify with and spend time with while shutting out the others. This is simply helpful information, allowing us to better understand ourselves and the broken world we live in. Helping us to see that everyone is at a different place in their life, right? Knowing And knowing is half the battle, or so they say. So when we come to this understanding... Um, you know, it can help us personally by making it clear to us that, you know, we need to pick an outcome for starters and that, you know, we have options as to what category we want to be in and what kind of lifestyle we want to live for the rest of our lives. And it can also help us interact with others. So, you know, by helping us to develop empathy, uh, helping us see that, you know, we're all in this together, no matter where we're at on the spirituality continuum, uh, we're all able to appreciate each other right where we're at. And and we can be there for other people as they make eternal choices and habits on their own. So let's land the plane. Uh, this week, ask yourself the following. As always, have you picked your outcome? Have you cast your vote in the eternal election? Have you accepted the antidote to the sin virus? Next, which of the four categories do you think you fall into? If you know you're in a category that you don't want to be in, what would it take to move into a different category? And then finally, when you look at all of the lifestyles out there, first, how is yours, right? What life are you living? And then second, are you loving those around you no matter where they're at on the spirituality continuum? So there it is. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been so much fun hanging out like it is every week. Um, next week, we're going to net things out by kind of looking at the cold, hard truth that the controversy equals the human condition, which equals the struggles we face in life. Uh, the 15th basic assumption is that the human condition is controversy related. Um, as always, it's never too late to recommend Transcend Human. 
or this uh, series about controversy theory to a friend or family member um, simply by promoting it on social media or adding a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. Any little thing like that helps out, keeps us moving, and makes sure that um, people are able to find us and uh, experience the content. So thanks again. Um, hope you have a great week. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.